Okay. Preacher man, hey preacher man, who can preach a sermon? Okay, enough of that. Well, we're in the last chapter, the last few verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's kind of like the teacher, the preacher, saves the best for last. I mean, you know, when we go to a concert, the biggest hit is the song that closes the show. And when we have a big meal, the big hit is the dessert that is saved for the end of the meal. Well, it's kind of like that in Ecclesiastes. The entire book has been explored as the meaning of life in our fleeting world, right? And now he gives us the bottom line for how to keep life aligned with God's will. So, and before he does that, Solomon reminds us who he is, and he is the preacher man. I'm going to just meet my um, video here so you can see that. Okay, look at that, verse 9 and 10. Not only was the teacher or preacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searches to find just the right words. And what he wrote was upright and true. Wow. So you've heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words, or a picture is worth a thousand words? I'm not so sure about that. Our lives would be empty and our relationships barren without the wonderful power of words. And I've got a little video to show you about that.
them are saying. I wrote the same, but in different words. Thanks, love. Okay, so there you go. The power of words. And of course, we know how powerful words are. Uh, we see that God used his word to create everything in the beginning. And then we have this wonderful passage from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And of course, later it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, referring to, of course, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So our lives would be empty and our relationships barren without the powerful word. The words we speak can make someone weep, blush, rage, or roar with laughter. Words birth emotions. Words change things. All you have to do is think about a wedding service and the powerful words of I will and how they set in motion two lives becoming one and change everything. You see, when we make promises using words, we become most like our creator. Our creator backs up his promises perfectly. Whatever God says, he does. When we are able to do that, we are most like our creator. Words can wound and words can heal. Words are weapons and words are wine. Think of some of the power of these phrases. I love you. I hate you. I never want to see you again. I forgive you. I cannot forgive you. You're my best friend. I'm sorry. God gave us words because he loves creating things. He loves changing things. Think about it. Why didn't God reveal himself to us in a picture book? Why didn't Jesus enter the world at a time when he could be recorded and be put on YouTube? If you sit with a child and read a picture book, Bible, made up only of images and no words at all, you'll find that you cannot Flick the pages without opening your mouth. Images need interpreting. God has given words from him, about him, for us. Revelation of himself is at the heart of who God is. You think about it, the primary sense organ for us all, for our faith, the primary sense organ for our faith is our ears. To know God, we need to be able to hear him. 
and the preacher sits us down and one last time tells us to be sure we understand how his words work. And it's quite fascinating. And so, beginning of the chapter, remember? Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. In other words, why, when should I remember my creator? Before it's too late, in the days of my youth. Now, Solomon tells us in this final section, two more questions he answers. How do I remember my creator? And why should I remember my creator? We're going to look, look at that. Wisdom. He uses wisdom to make things, uh, to make others wise. He studied and situations and events and all their regularity and randomness, and he wrote down what he observed. He finished by telling us that these observations are meant to bring four things. And here's the first one. Look at this in verse 10. Preacher sought to find words of delight or pleasure. Think about that. Words of pleasure. How do you remember your creator? How do you know that you know God? By listening to his words of delight and, find, and finding in them pleasure. See, God is not a killjoy in the way he made the world. He's not a grumpy old man in how he wants us to live in the world. And he's not a pure puritanical in the words he gave us to read that tell us about himself. We often look at that last word in that verse 10, that word truth. We want to know the Bible is truth. It's reliable. It can be trusted. That's all fine. But Solomon is also telling us the way the Bible actually works is by being beautiful because it is true and by, by being true because it is beautiful. Without the Bible's truth in life, there is an absence of beauty. Without the Bible's concepts, concept of pleasure, we have to construct our own, and that's always dangerous. And it'll be driven by selfish understanding of pleasure that will constantly narrow in around and focus on ourselves. But we get a bigger picture in the Bible about pleasure. I mean, the poetry about old age that we read uh, in this last chapter drives home the urgency of knowing God now while we can. This is so much of how the Bible works. And there's some beautiful passages like Job 38 to 41 or Psalm 23 or Isaiah 40 or Isaiah 65 or Luke 7 verse 36 to 50 or right at the end, the New Jerusalem, Revelations 21 and 22. You know your creator when you realize that the words he speaks are meant to make you smile. But another way to know that you know God 
is when what he says also makes you wince. So Solomon says that sometimes words are going to be delightful or pleasurable. Sometimes the word of God is going to bring pain. And that's in verse 11, isn't it? The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Goads were employed by herd drivers in ancient world to keep animals on a straight path. They were staffs with sharp nails embedded in them. Okay, the only way the animal could avoid pain was to go the way the shepherd wanted it to go. The preacher's words are like nails. They wound, some of them may have come to you with a very sharp tip indeed, but they come to bring you correction so that you stay on the straight and narrow. If you want to walk, if you want to know and love and walk with God all your days, then what you will need is some pain, some correction, some words to make you sit up and take notice, words to stop you in your tracks, to turn you around and get you going in the right direction. I've I've got a few of them here from the book that, boy, when I read them, I thought, wow, I got to sit up and take notice. Here's one. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still living. I have to think about that. And about this one, a good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. Sit up and take notice. Or how about this one? However, many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all, but let him remember the days of darkness for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. So there are sharp words from a loving shepherd. We need all the help we can get to keep going in a straight line. You think about it, Adam and Eve. They, God gave them the path to life, a straight line to walk in, and they veered off to the left to graze on different food. God shows us the path to life in his word. It's a narrow way to walk in with Christ as our king, no other gods, and we veer off to the right to graze for a while. And sometimes our attitude is, I'm young, everything's fine. It always happens to someone else. I'll be fine, I'll be grand. Solomon says, remember your creator by letting his word dispel your illusions and confront your folly, even if it hurts. And it may often hurt. Left to our own devices, we will not choose what is right. Left to wander along myself, I'll end up going in the opposite direction to where I should be. There is no satellite navigation for our souls other than the words from our one and only shepherd. Remember that beautiful passage from Psalm 23 verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So there's pleasure in the Bible. There's also pain in the Bible. These are attitude testers. First, you can measure whether you find the Bible delightful, not by how often you read it or by how much of it you read, and not by whether you find it easy or difficult to read, 
but by whether you approach the Bible expecting to be surprised. Bible delight is born when you expect it to teach you something you did not know already. The more childlike you are toward the Bible, the more likely you are to find it having just the right words for you. I love this passage from John chapter 6, verse 63. The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. And then listen to these words from Jesus. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. They are so much alive and ready to change and influence our lives. I got a great word for you. I mean, you listen to this word that David wrote in Psalm 19. It is just, look at his appreciation for God's word. Just, just listen to these words from Psalm 19, starting verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Wow. To speak like David speaks requires a certain view of yourself. I am poor, so the Bible is precious. I am hungry, so the Bible is the sweetest of foods. I'm unsure, disoriented. I'm floundering. The Bible is sure and trustworthy. He, this is how David saw God's word. He absolutely delighted in it because of who he became because of God's word. It shaped him. So, so important that we come to the word like this. It's the word of our creator and we are creatures. You will know that you know God when sometimes what he says makes you weep as he humbles your pride, reverses your expectations, upsets your priorities, offends your behaviors, and challenges your thinking. So, verse 12, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, the Proverbs that he's written, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Wow. Wow. In other words, not all is about study. Okay? We have to put into practice what we hear and learn. Okay. Verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Look at this. This is the conclusion of the book. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
for this is the whole duty of man. Now, what strikes me here is the comprehensiveness or totality of this statement. This is my whole duty is to fear and to keep. We don't tend to think like that. We compartmentalize life. We've got all kinds of duties and our duty to God is just one among many. We have hopes and dreams and aims and ambitions. In the midst of that, we think of our responsibilities and duties to others like our spouse or our children or our aging parents or work colleagues or our friends. But here's what the preacher reminds us. Every single duty or responsibility we have toward anyone or anything else, we have toward God first and foremost. Why do you need to be a certain kind of employee? Because you have to fear God and keep his commandments. Why do you have to be a certain kind of child? Because you fear God and you know he wants you to honor your parents. See, everything I do for you, I do because I do it for God first and foremost. That's the kind of a person Ecclesiastes is, is teaching me I ought to be. If we were to think of doing everything for God first and foremost, it would quite radically change what we do for one another. Think about this. Fear God and keep his commandments. You do that and you're going to be the best spouse and you're going to be the best employee and you're going to be the best parent and you're going to be the best at whatever vocation, whatever hat you happen, happen to be wearing. Everything I do because God is first and foremost. Wow. It might make us bolder in what we say, more concerned for God's truth than one other, someone else's approval. It might make us more kind and more gentle, realizing that God has commanded us to forgive one another as he forgave us. It will make us more joyful probably less grumpy, and it'll make us more generous. Think about it. It will make us more alive. Here's what the preacher of Ecclesiastes lines up with the writer of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord, right, is the beginning of wisdom. Sure is. The fear of the Lord. To fear and to remember is to regard God with all the adoration, love, and obedience that rightly and only belongs to him. Wow. To live, this word from God is teaching us to live on our knees. It humbles us as the creature and exalts God as the creator who knows what is best. And sometimes, Fundamentally, we get those things messed up. So, verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So, 
So we have um, pleasure. The word of God gives us pleasure. Sometimes it gives us pain. Sometimes it gives us perspective. It certainly does. Everything under the sun. And it gives us preparation. Yeah, we're preparing. One of the hardest things about Ecclesiastes is letting it instruct us that there are no immediate answers for some things in this life. There's just no immediate answers. God will put it right. You think about it. The fear of being unprepared for something major, like an exam or an interview, or you get up in front of a crowd and you forgot what to say, is huge fear, okay? The fear of being unprepared. And Ecclesiastes is just teaching us throughout the book, be prepared. A day is coming when some people will discover that they are not ready for the most important event in the world. And it won't be a dream. Their life has been one long exercise in avoiding, avoiding reality and ignoring what is coming toward them. And that is, of course, their own death and the subsequent judgment. And Ecclesiastes is telling us, hey, it's coming. Be prepared. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And then we hop, skip, and jump over to the New Testament. And Paul reminds us that, yeah, we can look at the end of our life and prepare for it. Looking at the end of our life, dying, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul knew that in Christ, living and dying means win-win. Win-win. We can labor for Christ while we live, and we can live with Christ when we die. Your death and the judgment to follow. Big fixed points in each of our lives are the very things that can reach back from the future, back into our today, and transform the life God has given us to live. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's all because of the word of God. So I'm encouraging you to keep reading and keep hearing the word of God because it's going to give you pleasure. It's going to give you pain. It's going to give you perspective. And it is going to make you prepared. This is what the preacher says. Who can take an offering? Who can take an offering? Make you stand and sing or raise your hands or kneel and pray. The preacher man, the preacher man, the preacher man can, the preacher man can, cause he stands up in the front and tells us how to be good. The preacher man speaks every single week. We love the wisdom he disperses. At altar calls in all our churches. We're gonna sing. A few more verses. Whoa, who can work for Jesus? Who can work for Jesus? 
administered to us from the cradle to the grave. The preacher man, the preacher man can, the preacher man can, cause he stands up in the front and tells us how to be good. The preacher man can, cause he stands up in the front and tells us how to be good.